0: Good morning, One Hope. It's a delight to preach God's Word again this morning. Uh, One of our old One Hopers, Nikita Keel, messaged me from America and said, Why didn't you mention that people are watching in America last week? So, Nikita, this is a shout out to you and anybody else watching. The last few weeks, we've been talking about questions we'd love to ask God. And we asked in week one... um, Has God allowed the coronavirus in week two? Can God really turn evil for good? And this morning, we're going to ask the question, God, do you really... Do you really have a plan for my life? And I'm actually going to take this over two weeks because I think there's two critical aspects to this. And it's a question we ask so many times, right? Lord, what is it you want me to do with my life? What should the main focus of my life be? Or even zoom out a little bit and ask more philosophically, is there even meaning to life? Is there even purpose or significance to life? And often, when we ask these questions, we go away feeling uncertain, like it's quite cloudy. It's difficult to find an answer that satisfies us. And so over the next two weeks, I'm going to talk about the plan. I would put that in, in capital letters, the plan of God for your life. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And I think that that brings meaning and significance to the second smaller The plan God has for your life, which is much more individual and much more to your giftings. And we're going to speak about that really, really practically next week. I've prepared so far uh, six points that I think will just help guide us. How do we hear the voice of God to know what it is he wants us to do practically with our lives? But this morning we're talking about capital, the plan. Does God have a plan, a huge plan? for our lives and we're going to do that by starting with the life of Jesus and did God have a plan and a purpose for the life of Jesus and um, that's going to, you'll see just now why that becomes so important when we talk about the plan for our life. Um, But I'm going to actually ask you to do some reading right up front. And so if you're with with a family or friends or even just watching on your own, you're going to read these texts. The first one out of Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. They'll come up on the screen in a moment. And then out of Romans chapter 8. And while you're reading that, I want to encourage you, please don't rush this moment. Please spend time thinking about these texts and engaging with them. And I want to give you... Two big questions. And they kind of under this umbrella question. Who killed Jesus? Who killed him? And it's like a game of cosmic Cluedo. You know, was it Pir- Pilate? Was it the Jews? And, and I want to ask two specific questions under that umbrella. The first one is this. Did God the Father kill Jesus? And the second question is, did you, did I, kill Jesus And so pause the video now and as you read those texts, think about those two questions. You might not have a Bible, in which case there'll be um, these verses up on the screen and you can just pause them and follow along.
1: See you guys in a few minutes. And so we come back to ask the question: Did God
0: kill Jesus? And, guys, from the text that we've just read, these verses that we've read in Acts and in Romans, it seems that God the Father is heavily implicated in the death of Jesus Christ. When you read in verse 23 of Acts 2, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite plan. The foreknowledge of God. And then you go across into Romans. And you read Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. And it says, he, speaking about God the Father, who did not spare his own son. But, still speaking about God the Father. But God the Father gave him up for us all. This week I I listened to a, a short devotional by John Piper. Where this just was so helpfully And so, I'm going to play that right now for us.
1: He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, with him, graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32 One of my friends, who used to be a pastor in Illinois, was preaching to a group of prisoners in a state prison during Holy Week several years ago. At one point in his message, he paused and asked the men if they knew who killed Jesus. Some said the soldiers did. Some said the Jews did. Some said Pilate. After there was silence, my friend said simply, his father killed him. That's what the first half of Romans 8.32 says. God did not spare his own son, but handed him over to death. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Acts 2.23. Isaiah 53 puts it even more bluntly. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, his father, has put him to grief Isaiah 53 4 and 10 or as Romans 3 25 says God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood just as Abraham lifted the knife over the chest of his son Isaac but then spared his son because there was a ram in the thicket so God the father lifted his knife over the chest of his own son, Jesus, but did not spare him because he was the ram. He was the substitute. God did not spare his own son because it was the only way he could spare us and still be a just and holy God. The guilt of our transgressions, the punishment of our iniquities, the curse of our sin, would have brought us inescapably to the destruction of hell. But God did not spare his own son. He gave him up to be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and crucified for our sins. This verse, Romans 8.32, is the most precious verse in the Bible to me because The foundation of the all-encompassing promise of God's future grace is that the Son of God bore in His body all my punishment and all my guilt and all my condemnation and all my blame and all my fault and all my corruption so that I might stand before a great and holy God forgiven, reconciled, justified, accepted, and the beneficiary of unspeakable promises of pleasure forever and ever at his right hand.
0: So as we read these texts from the word of God and we hear from men like John Piper just explaining some of what it is that it becomes undeniable that God was deeply implicated, deeply involved in the death of his son, Jesus. Now a cynic takes that and runs off with it and says, wow, some God you have. You keep telling me you have a good father. What kind of good father does this? And he lumps God in with the Pharisees, with Pilate, with the Jews, with the Roman soldiers. And he's just like, man, God the father must be like that. Now let me ask you, if you, are, if you are really seeking God, don't be a cynic. Don't take a word or a thought out of context. Don't rip it out of context and then use it as a defense weapon against those who disagree with you or to try and prove to those religious people that, they, that they're wrong. No, a, a true seeker wants the honest truth. We want to know what is actually going on. And so in Acts chapter 2, where Peter writes and he says that God had a plan for Jesus to be crucified. God foreknew that Jesus would be crucified. What Peter actually has in mind there is the whole plan of what God is doing. Not simply the crucifixion and the death moment. The death moment, it did not end there. And the Acts text carries on and said, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so just after Jesus' death in the book of Luke, written by the same person who wrote the book of Acts. He writes this and he says in Luke 24, thus it is written, Jesus talking. So he's saying, This is the plan. This is what was written about me. This is what God has been saying was going to happen with my life. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his Jesus' name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses these things now that links back so powerfully into the last few weeks where we've been talking about the heart of the father what is God's heart in Acts chapter 2 when it says that the moon will be darkened and there's this apocalyptic language of you're gonna face difficult things what's his heart that sons and daughters come running back to him What's his heart in in, in turning evil for good? It's that the event he's going to take our evil, the evil of our hearts. That's the ultimate evil. And he's going to turn that for good, for his purposes, the heart of the Father. And so what was the heart of the Father in the death of Jesus Christ? We make a grave error to lump him in with the Jews or with lawless men. God's heart was what it's always been to bring sons and daughters back to Himself. As it says in this Luke text, that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to everyone. Everyone. The suffering was not the plan, the redemption of mankind was the plan, and the suffering was just necessary. In the midst of that. But God takes that. As we spoke extensively last week. That most evil of acts. And it's turned for the most incredible good. Our lives are profoundly better. We have good eternal things stored up for us. Because of the death of Jesus Christ. And that was the plan. Did God kill Jesus? I think from these texts it's clear. Yes he did. Why did God kill Jesus? Because he had a much bigger plan in mind. Now that leads us to our second question. And this is a provocative question. Did you kill Jesus? I imagine that as you hear that, there must be some sort of emotion. As I question you, did you kill Jesus? Some sort of emotion that that rises up in our heart. Maybe like a denial, or it could be offence, or even just resentment. Like how how dare you ask me if I was involved in the death of Jesus? Something that happened two thousand years ago, preacher. Do you want to come and do you want to come and lay the blame at my feet? Now the reason that I'm asking that question is I think that the audience who first heard Peter ask this question here in the book of Acts, there would have been so many in that audience who would have had exactly the same response. How dare you try and lay that at our feet? And here's why I think that this, the feast that was happening was one of the three feasts. It was the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And it was one of the three feasts that they were commanded, Israelites from all over, were commanded to come up to Jerusalem. And so they would have been there for this feast, but it was a multinational gathering of people from towns all over the place. So they, they spoke in 17 languages that are recorded. Think about that crowd. Were the people in this crowd there at the actual death and crucifixion of Jesus Christ? The probability is zero that everybody in that crowd had also been in the crowd when Jesus was being crucified many of them had not been there many of them did not shout crucify him crucify him let his blood be upon us and upon our children and yet peter can boldly say to them in verse 23 you crucified and killed him and he says it again in verse 36 which is the last verse of his sermon he says let all the house of israel therefore know for certain that god has made him both lord and christ this jesus whom you crucified see when we hear peter leveling that accusation against the crowd we don't realize that many in the crowd would have said peter i wasn't even here i was back over there in galilee or i was over there in capernaum i wasn't in jerusalem when jesus was killed how dare you lay that accusation at my feet and yet peter had in mind when he said delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge. Jesus was delivered up and he was killed and you killed him. He had in mind texts like Isaiah 53, which is a text from 700 years before, which in exquisite detail describes the death of Jesus and gives us the reason for his death. And I'll read a little portion of that. Isaiah 53 in verse 4. Surely he has, he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted by God but for us he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities or sins upon him was the chastisement or the judgment that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed All we like sheep have gone astray. It was not Jesus who went astray. We went astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, what Isaiah is saying is that yes, lawless men could have killed Jesus, but it was for you, it was because of our sin our sorrows, our grief, our inability to come to God. Or we should hear the words of of the hymn that we just sung this morning. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And when Jesus said those words, it is finished. He was talking about his life and his calling and the reason that he had come. And when we were talking about it, we're talking about my sin is finished. My sin is finished in that moment. And here's how all of these thoughts tie together. What was the plan of Jesus's life? Did God kill Jesus? Did you or I, did we kill Jesus? Here's how it all ties together. God killed Jesus as part of the plan of Jesus' life because of my sin. If I had never sinned, if I had been without sin, there would have been no need for the death of Jesus Christ. Without my sin there was no as the text in acts 2 says there was no delivering up of jesus no betrayal of jesus without my sin there was no need for god to have planned and the definite plan and the foreknowledge of god and giving jesus over for death without my sin there was no crucifixion no lawless hands of men touched and beat and punched the body of this precious innocent son of god jesus christ and that's why peter could say you killed him i i i don't want to just make it you me i killed him you crucified him and Peter said that to men and women who had not been there on the day when Jesus was killed and yet he puts the blame of that sin upon every single one of us their generation the next generation all the way into our lives so did you kill Jesus I know you weren't there of course you weren't there I wasn't there but did we kill Jesus But oh friends, how important it is to remember that this is just a part of the life of Jesus and the plan of Jesus and we are asking this morning what was God's plan for the life of Jesus and yes God was implicated and yes we are implicated in the death of Christ but God raised him from the dead as it says here in Acts and so we've got to remember that that's just one part of the life story of the purpose and the plan that God had for glory and for people to come back to him because that's the heart of God that men and women and children and old people and and young people would come back to Jesus that's his heart that they would come back to the father through this story of what happened in Jesus's life and the plan of Jesus's life and so if we were together and I'm longing for that moment. I would get some volunteers out of the crowd, and and I just think it would be so helpful to. So you don't have to visualize this, but to to visually think through what it is that happened that Scripture teaches us in Jesus's life. And I would read over you from the book of Philippians. Let me go there, Philippians chapter two. And in the book of Philippians, there's this really succinct little short part of the passage, Philippians chapter two, verse five, where it speaks about the life of Jesus and the plan of jesus and what it was he did let me read it over you have this mind among yourself which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god he was god he lived in the comfort of heaven he did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped that simply means that he didn't use his godness as an excuse he didn't say i'm god so i'm not going down he put that aside but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's the word Emmanuel, which means God with us. It just means God came down. Incarnation is the fancy word that we use for that. But Jesus came down. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient to who? To his father. He said, not my will, but your will. Your will is to kill me. Your will is that this would plan would, would follow through so that many could come to you. Not my will. I don't want to die in this moment in my humanity. But you want me to and your will be done. Becoming obedient to the point of death. Crucifixion. Jesus dies. Even death on a cross. Therefore, we can't stop there and run off with that. We have to carry on with the therefore because of that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all. Every name. The Acts 2 text says the grave couldn't hold him. He was risen up. So many texts teach us about the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And then the ascension. That means the way he went back to be with God. So he came down from God. Emmanuel God with us. He's killed. He's resurrected or brought to life. Then he ascends. He goes back to God. And then there's two phrases or two words that we would use glorification and exaltation. And it simply means that He is given all the glory. That's why we sing and we, we praise Him when we, when we pray and when we think of Him. That's why, that's why we use these kind of phrases of praise toward Him. We exalt His name. And it says that one day, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that was the plan for Jesus' life. That's the whole plan. Now what about your life? I told you that I want to speak this morning about THE PLAN. Capital T-H-E. Capital PLAN. PLAN. And I want to speak about how the plan of the life of Jesus so profoundly impacts. It's intertwined with our lives. You can't escape that this is the plan. The plan of Jesus makes possible the plan for your and my life and so we're going to turn again into the book of Romans where we've been and go with me to Romans chapter 8 and I want you to see I want you to note the similarities between the text in Acts where it says that this death of Jesus that it was foreknown by God that it was it was the definite plan of God it was the purpose of God now I want you to notice the similarities as we read in Romans chapter 8 and we know that for those who love God All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now we spoke about that at length last week. You can go and watch that again. How God turns evil for good. Now listen to how God thinks about us and the plan that he has over our lives. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son did you get that? The definite plan and the foreknowledge of God that Jesus would be killed. Why? Because God foreknew that the plan of our lives, the great purpose of our lives, would be to come back. To God, And the first part here, the good that God wants to do, this evil that he wants to turn for good in our lives, is that we would be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's just big words to say. We would be increasingly like Jesus in our lives. That as he was obedient even to death, that we would be obedient. Where he could say, not my will, but your will. That we would say, God, not my will. Not what I want for my life. Not what I want for my career. Not what I want for my family, my finances, or the country I would love to live in. But your will. You tell me what to do. I want to surrender my life. In order that he, speaking about Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Now what does that mean? It means that just as Jesus was resurrected, that means made alive. That he would just be the first one who would be made alive. Because God comes into our lives and he does this for us. Exactly what he did through Jesus is the plan and the purpose that he has for our lives and then it says those whom he breathed predestined he also called and i'd love to do another whole sermon just on what that means but basically it means that not just the hearing you don't just hear your name not just paul or philip or Gerda or anybody's name but that when we hear our name when we hear the preaching there's something in our hearts that leaps up and says yes i have faith and my faith says yes to god That's what it means here when it says that he he called us. And those whom he called, he also justified. Justified is a word that means just as if we had never done it. Just as if you had never been implicated in the death of Jesus Christ. You killed him. Justified. You denied him. Justified. You sin ongoingly in your life justified just as if you had never done it he justified and those whom he justified he also glorified it's certain it's sure that exactly the path that Jesus has taken and the plan of the life of Jesus when we meet him at that at that crucifixion and we surrender our hearts alive to us come the same things that happened In the life of Jesus. And if I could draw this out. On a a page for you. And plot the life of Jesus. Or have volunteers from the congregation. Come and stand up here. We would say. Jesus came down. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus was ascended. And as he was ascended. He was glorified. He was given a new body. And he was exalted. Then we could come and say. The life of a Christian. They are born They are in sin where Jesus was innocent. They live in sin. Jesus lived a sinless life. We live a guilt filled life. But then, if we come and say yes to the crucifixion, we put our faith in Christ, then He makes us alive and we get to share in that. And then, when we die, we get glorified. We get given new bodies, sinless bodies, new character. And then, Jesus was exalted, but in heaven, we will do the exalting. We will stand and we will sing again and again around His throne, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lamb of God. For those of you who follow Jesus this morning, I want to ask you, do you get this? Do you get that the plan of Jesus, so comes and so we our plan fits inside of his plan and where he was raised to life, we get raised to life. Where he gets glorified with the Father, we get glorified with the Father too. And our, our other plans, the, pl- the plans we're going to speak about next week. How do I live my life and and my career and who am I going to marry and, and these are important questions and i don't want to trivialize them but they they become so secondary to understanding the plan of god to bring men and a woman to himself and then from that place we begin to respond by god how do i live my life for you what is it you want me to do show me how to How to answer the question of what my life should look like. Do you see how it fits inside of this plan. Like a letter inside of an envelope. Christian I want to ask you. Have you accepted Christ for all that He has offered us and wants from us? Is He being allowed to transform your life? Is the Holy Spirit the power that He left when He went to heaven? He poured out His Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit alive and working in you to bring change? To bring surrender? That like Jesus you could say, Father, not my will but Yours. Father, You have Your way in my life. Or are you just happy for your salvation? Happy for the, for the crucifixion and the resurrection and you say, thank you, you're going to save me and send me to heaven. But you know what? For my life, just let me, just leave me alone. Let me live my life the way I want to. God comes and challenges us with His word and says, the plan of Jesus made possible through great cost. The plan for your life that you would come to me and live with me and obey me and conform to me and be more like me and then let me speak to you because there's a journey as well if you don't follow christ and just like anybody you're born you come into the earth and you live a life of sin and even though you might not do the big sins, whatever those are classified in your mind, you are guilty and you have killed Christ just like we had before we came to know Him. I killed, I killed Jesus and the same path is open to you. He wants you to believe in the crucifixion and the resurrection and that he can bring new life and you'll feel it here on earth already. But then one day he'll take you into eternity where you'll have a new body and be glorified just like Jesus. And the question is, will you come? This path is open to you, but you must decide. And friends, it's not honest to say, how can a loving God send people to hell? Because this God has done everything to show us his love. The question is rather, why did you refuse his love? Don't rely on something at the end of the road in the world, God's gonna be loving enough to, to let me off the hook. Friends, he's doing everything he can to show you now his plan and his purpose. And because he is just, he will not let you off the hook. The Bible actually teaches us instead that God's wrath is coming upon those who do not believe. Do not believe that, do not believe the lie that God is not angry with you and with your sin. He is. His wrath will be poured out. There is a judgment day coming. Now, I'm not trying to scare you, but God left a book, this word of God detailing, detailing his life, detailing his plan and his purpose for the life of Jesus and for your life. And the question is, will you believe it or not? Because as you're born and you refuse to the death of christ and the resurrection of christ then instead of being with the father being with going back up to jesus like jesus did you will be apart from the father and instead of having the life of christ the death of christ given to you as life you will experience eternal death and the plan will take you not to glorification and and exalting Jesus around the throne but instead it will take you to what the bible speaks about as hell a place separate from God of suffering and punishment but that is not his plan for you and so I ask you please trust what he says think about it read it if you've never engaged with it engage with it properly this is what I ask of you this morning Friends, there's a story in the Gospels which so beautifully helps us. There's a father who brings his son who's in much trouble. He's constantly thrown into the fire and he can't speak. He's and He has a demon living inside of him. And the father comes to Jesus and says, if you can heal him, please do something. And Jesus responds and says, if you can, if you can, don't you have faith? Is his question, and the man responds and says, I do have faith, help my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't nail him on the technicality. Jesus sees this incomplete faith in this man and he heals. The And I feel like sometimes we come and we say... God we have a small... We are starting to believe. We have a little measure of faith. But we don't quite get it. Help my unbelief is an honest prayer that you can pray. So God help me see. Help me understand this plan and this purpose. Help me see that I am implicated in the death of Christ. And help me see that not only did He die. But that He was resurrected. That in that resurrection I get life. I get all the promises... he has put before me and if you'd like to talk more about that i'd love to talk to you about that or maybe there's a a friend that you know a christian friend or someone who invited you to watch this morning that you could talk to more about how to come to know jesus christ but i'm going to finish there for this morning and i'm going to pray for us and so if we could close our eyes wherever we are and let's fix our eyes just for a moment as we finish on the father father i want to thank you and praise you for your goodness to us your plan that so beautifully comes and 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 becomes our plan and becomes the the plan for our lives. Father, for Christians, would you give us more than just a, a salvation ticket to heaven, but help us to live surrendered lives and to bring our lives again before you with the prompting of the power of the Holy Spirit to live differently and to live differently because of the plan that you've put in place and said, this is how I want you to live your life. Walk in it for those who don't know you. Oh God, I cry out for them today that they would see, that their ears would be opened, that their eyes would be opened, that their hearts would see where it's all cloudy and misty. Now, please, by your Spirit, come and and touch them and let them see you for who you are and let them have faith where right now there may be unbelief. These things I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Friends, thank you for joining us today. God bless you this week. Peace be upon you. Amen.